0: Hi, welcome to Storytime with Seth Rogen. Today's episode, I Like Ike. Everyone always asks me, how did you get started in comedy? How would you do
1: it? And this is that story.
0: Ike Barinholt is an actor, writer, director, comedian. I worked with him in the Neighbors franchise. Is it a franchise? There's two of them. Sure. It's a franchise. I met him for the first time while making Eastbound and Down. I thought he was a PA, but he was, in fact, an actor on the show. I was in my hotel room, and Danny calls me. He's like,
1: hey, what's up, man? Uh, you have any wheat? I go, yeah, i have a little. He goes, yeah. You know Seth Rogen? Can you go bring him some (laughs) wheat? I knocked on your door, and I was
0: like, what's up? And you're like, oh, thank you. (laughs) I thought you were a PA. You thought I was a PA. Um, Yeah, I apologize (laughs) if I was dismissive of you in any way, shape, or form. No, no, no. I I, I let it go a couple years ago. Just a few weeks ago, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Uh, One thing that became very clear to me the first time I worked with Ike is that he is truly one of the quickest thinkers, one of the most convincing improvisers I've ever worked with. His ability to create a new reality on the spot, something with a fully flushed out character, something with a storyline and a narrative to it, out of seemingly nowhere, was truly amazing to me. So I wondered, how did Ike get started in this field? What led him to becoming the type of person that could just... Think on his feet with such amazing ease. Let's go back to the beginning.
1: As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be an improviser.
0: Chicago, 1983. Young Ike peers through the front window of his childhood home, hoping to catch a glimpse of the city's up-and-coming improv actors, playing Yes And beneath the tracks of the L train, hanging out beneath the streetlight, haranguing passers-by, asking for non-geographical locations.
1: These guys were legends. Colin Mock-Reed, Ryan Stiles.
0: They did whatever they wanted. To a young Ike, being an improviser seemed cooler than anything. There were no rules, and everybody in the neighborhood liked and feared them. One
1: night after a improv show, two of the performers pretended to be police officers and walked my mother all the way home. <laughs> it was out of respect.
2: <laughs> as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Really?
0: Really?
1: No, I'm joking. That's just like Goodfellas. That's I was just thinking of Goodfellas.
0: <laughs> I would watch Whose Line Is It Anyway? And just think, like, if I could have that. Well, so, unlike Henry Hill, Ike did not always know what he wanted to do with his life. And his path to becoming an improviser and actor was a long one, with several detours along the way, as you will hear in this story. Ike Barinholtz did not even always want to be an improviser. His journey to becoming that actually was more about trying and failing to fit into what his parents and society expected of him. I also need to point out to our listeners, for the purposes of this story, that Ike Barinholtz is
2: a liar. Don't believe me? Ask his parents, Alan and Peggy. I think we're both recording now. Yeah, no, it went off. No, no, the phone went, the the light went off, but you're still recording. Never mind.
0: Talking to Ike's parents very quickly revealed that Ike has had a lifelong struggle with the truth. Like the time he was in fourth grade and a schoolyard coach narked him out for something he'd done in class. His coach said, what
2: the hell is the matter with your kid? I said, what? He said, Ike mooned Mr. Lieberman. I said, what? What? No, (laughs) that can't be.
1: And I was like... No, I made a funny face, and she had to call the school. And she's like, "Did he make a funny face?" face? And my sweet art teacher, Mr. Lieberman, rest in peace, goes, "No, he showed me his ass. He showed the whole class his ass."
2: So, and I was
1: really furious at him for that. I didn't get to go to camp that year, which is very traumatizing
0: for a young Jew. As time went on, the problem did not get better.
1: For like a year, I told them I had to go up to the roof every night for astronomy class.
0: Uh, high school. And I was just smoking. I didn't even take astronomy. We didn't even offer astronomy. There was the large delivery of booze that showed up at the house one day.
2: Caught my eye because the order was from Sam Berenholtz, who's Alan's dad. Who
0: was dead for 10 years. All right. (laughs) Ike lied. (laughs) Ike lied. Ike lied. And when Ike lied yet again. How did his parents react?
1: And they're like, oh, feel good. They're fucking angels from heaven. They just believe me. My whole life, my relationship with my parents has been this just beautifully smooth, wonderful paved road where every now and then a manhole opens and they fall in.
2: Ike was very sweet. I mean, um, he was always funny, but he was just like a sweet little boy and he was really a nice little at- <laughs> are, kid. Are we allowed to be colloquial? You can be very highly colloquial, I would say. <laughs> Mike was never a dick. I'm
1: very, very close with my parents. If people didn't lie to their parents, you would never get anything done. Because you would constantly have to tell them the truth and then discuss it. And, like, parse it out and stuff. As opposed to just telling a quick, quick super lie. You guys, I, I gotta go. No. Uh for Dinner's ready. Yeah, you know what you, I mean. As opposed to, hey guys, we've been talking twenty five minutes. I have to take a shit. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's a victimless lie. You're yeah. just you're just lying just to kind of save you're your protecting own ass. Yourself. Yeah, yeah, protecting yourself. It's all it is. It's like lying to your boss. And it's because I'm so afraid of confrontation and more importantly, disappointment. That's the thing. I don't want to disappoint them.
0: And what type? of behavior specifically would be disappointing to the Baron Holtzes. Well, the answer to that may lie in the answer to my next question. And what kind of values did you try to instill in in Ike and and, and Johnny?
2: Do well in school. (laughs) Ike went to uh, a private school uh, in Chicago, and it was a great school. The Latin School of Chicago
0: founded in 1888, a very selective private high school in the Gold Coast neighborhood on the north side. Notable Latin alumni include Adelaide Stevenson, the journalist Neil Strauss, and the owner of the Chicago Blackhawks, and all that just sounds very fancy and expensive to me. To understand why Alan and Peggy felt education was so important for young, like, you kind of have to look at their family past.
2: My parents dropped out of high school. Uh, I was the first, and I got a college degree. Peggy's parents back in the 30s and 40s went to college, got college degrees. Peggy got a college degree.
0: Alan and Peggy even met on a college campus while they were pursuing their bachelor's degrees in the dramatic arts. We
2: were both at Ohio State. And we were both working on the same play together. I was in tech, Alan was acting. We were both theater majors.
0: But they soon abandoned these artistic pursuits for a more responsible life.
2: After college, I did a little stand-up, and then I decided to go to law school. So then it was law school
0: for Alan, and settling into a good, steady job raising kids, which brings us back to Ike at this extremely prestigious, very expensive private high school in Chicago. Ike did not excel in his studies. He did have another plan for how to succeed in life in the quintessentially most American profession there is, where lying is actually a huge part of the job. I would call it an asset. It's funny. My whole life, I, I loved
1: movies. Um, I love TV. But I always kind of saw myself going into politics.
0: Really? Yeah. He wanted to be president. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I for president, I for president, I for president, I for president. You like I my grades were terrible. Like I could not study. No. Like I couldn't do it. I could not do homework. Like I would go home and have to like I would stare at books and then I would lie to my parents (laughs) and be like, yeah, I'm done with my homework and I watch Cheers. (laughs) And I I was just terrible. It's terrible, terrible story. Had you ever smoked weed? Never smoked weed. I was the guy in high school who was like, "No, I can't smoke weed if I want to be president one day." <laughs> <laughs>
0: you
1: know, like Bill Clinton. Look up, look what happened to Bill Clinton. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it.
0: And didn't inhale,
2: and never tried So,
1: like, I didn't fucking touch weed in high school, like because I you on... wanted to be president. I now is the time president. for all I'm good I'm American I'm I'm Americans to come to the aid of their country.
0: It's like the lamest <laughs> my, reason. Get it out. <laughs> and knowing you, like it's even funnier. Because <laughs> you never had a shot to be president. <laughs> and did you think maybe he could be president?
2: <sighs> you know... I, did you? I I don't know. Ike I always... I I wasn't sure he did well enough in history to do well enough in school to get there.
0: High school graduation. Ike is not valedictorian, but the dude graduated, which is more than I can say for myself. Did you consider joining the military at any point? Uh, there was maybe like like a half hour after
1: 9-11 where I was like, should I join the fucking Marines? And then I just remembered what a soft, like, urban Jewish man I am, and I was like, I'm not, not going to do that. I will help.
0: Osama Bin Laden is praying someone like you signs up so he could have an opportunity <laughs> to kill his ass in person. And that's like, oh, the Jews are coming to me now? That's fucking great.
2: <laughs>
1: so I applied to a bunch of colleges, and I only got into a handful. And the one I ended up going to was uh, Boston University. Okay. Z- College of General Studies. (laughs) Boston
0: University's College of General Studies.
1: Yeah. Like most people you meet, they go to like the liberal arts college or probably pretty smart. They worked hard. And the College of General Studies is like, it's like if you're a dumbass, but like you're like the best hockey player in your town.
0: And so how did you do
1: it? Just because I, I think, like, I just did well enough on, like, my like SAT scores and, like, maybe, like, my essay that I wrote was just good enough for them to, like, not look at my grades and be like, uh, okay, if you can do this for two years, you can go to one of the big boy colleges.
0: And, and did you go to college still with the hope of becoming a politician of some sort? Yes, I, I did. I did. Wow. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't exactly Harvard. But just like they did with high school, Alan and Peggy invested in Ike's education for college. And to this day, without skipping a beat, Alan can tell you exactly how much he invested.
2: $14,000.
0: And with a lying, deadbeat, delusionally ambitious college freshman heading off to a remedial secondary education is where our story about Ike the performer really kicks into eye gear. Story time. Story time, yeah.
1: I think their expectations of me going to college was like maybe become a lawyer, like my dad, and then a major in political science. So they were expecting that. That was kind of like what I talked about.
0: But once he arrived in Boston, like so many other college kids, Ike was like, you know what? Fuck it.
1: I got to school. And I just went nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I can stay out all night. He started smoking weed. There was probably like some cute girl who was like, you don't smoke weed. I was like, no, I do. I do. I I love it. I love it.
0: Totally don't want to be president. (laughs) He discovered his sexuality. You he could hook up. Or
1: as was much more likely the case, say,
0: jack off. Yes, finally. <laughs> That's a huge thing.
1: Psychedelic drugs. Oh, these are mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. Let's just prune. Boston was his oyster. And then I also started hanging out with some bad kids from Boston who, like, looked like they were like in the
0: Dropkick Murphys, <laughs> who were like, <laughs> like thugs. I think. And Boston University's College of General Studies was the last thing on his mind. His dorm room was mostly used for getting fucked up hanging out jacking off and one other thing that he started to do more and more of after he got to college don't worry it's not the gross thing you're thinking of
1: the one thing i loved doing was watching movies i would hang out with my friends during the night and then the next day i would watch movies sometimes the same movie over and over pretty much completely stopped going to class so i remember at the very end i went into I, I, like the last two weeks i was like i should show up you know make an appearance and like i came in i remember one of the professors looks at me and goes who are you <laughs> it was like the last week of class and i was like uh Ike baron holtz he goes i crossed you off the list like three months ago dude
0: and if alan and peggy could ever get ike on the phone to ask him how he was doing ike would do what Ike do and that's fucking lie i
1: wasn't even like i don't know it's okay i guess i'm struggling to be honest in some areas but we'll figure it out i was just like i'm doing well i'm mostly b's a couple couple c's but mostly b's like i was just like if i'm gonna if you're gonna
0: lie lie <laughs> to
1: make someone feel good make them feel good don't like lie yeah. and stress them out yeah
0: you fully fabricated a fake uh life as a pretty average college student <laughs> Reach for the stars, right? It's not until Ike is on a plane heading back to Chicago for summer break after his first year that he really had a chance to process what he had done. The guilt really came in
1: with me not telling my parents. Yeah. That was, like, the thing that, like, you know, they would ask me, how's school going? And I I just I couldn't tell them because they're, like, the nicest people, the best people. And if I told them, I was like, not going to class, they would just get angry. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, you have to work harder. And, like, I literally couldn't. Like, I literally, if you put a gun to my head and was like, you need to pass this class, like, you would have shot
0: me. Yeah. (laughs) He said he physically couldn't do
2: schoolwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He had a disease. That sounds like an idea. (laughs)
0: Uh. So at what point did the idea of taking him on a trip (laughs) come up?
1: I'm home for summer break and oh God, I never forget like it was it, it was in the morning and my parents were like so you finished your first year of school it's great and as a treat dad is going to take you to Las Vegas and Los Angeles and any like decent person at that moment would be like all right guys let's talk <laughs> here's the deal I fucked up really bad and I'm really sorry and I want to figure out how to fix it. What I said was fucking sweet. Vegas and LA. Uh, yes, please. So I, I go on this amazing trip with my dad, like he takes me to Vegas. I'd never been there before. And this was like Vegas before it got real. It was like still kind of old Vegas. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is, 95 sure. was before it was super corporate. It was so cool. Um, so we went there and then we went to LA and I just fell in love with Los Angeles. I couldn't believe L.A. I was just blown away. What did you by do? How... What are some of
0: the stuff you did? The place I remember the most was we went to the Ivy. Ooh. The Ivy. Ooh. <laughs> a brick patio brunch restaurant on Robertson Boulevard that MSNBC once called a celebrity beehive that sees a constant stream of Hummers, Mercedes, and Jaguars pull up and discharge folks who pay through the nose to be seen eating in public. Still love the Ivy. Um... <laughs> It's insanely priced. I
1: was like, I'm sorry, you're telling me these tacos are $40? Oh,
0: no! You guys mind if I tell you a quick story about the Ivy? Let's do it. It's time for an Inception-esque story within a story. Ooh! Chris Nolan would be super psyched with me. When I was very young, maybe 18, I guess, Judd invited me to go to Gary Shanling's birthday at the Ivy. I had very little money at the time. Mm -hmm. I literally like ordered like a side salad for myself. We eat the meal. Someone was like, let's just split this. And yeah, that's what And I didn't want to be the guy who like, again, in front of some of my idols was like, no, let's not split this. I ended up paying like $109 for like a fucking side salad or some shit like that. And it stings me to this day.
1: Nothing worse than going to a nice restaurant when you're broke.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's the worst fucking thing in the entire world. Good thing for little Ike that when he was traveling with his dad, Alan covered the bill. Are you, I'm sorry. You're telling me these tacos are $40? Let's get back to this one. Anyway, you went to the Ivy. A, a ridiculously priced restaurant. <laughs> ridiculously priced restaurant, but it was so
1: cool. And I was just like, oh, my God. L.A. is awesome.
2: We have a cousin. Uh, who was a filmmaker. He was probably in his mid to late 20s, and he had made uh, a a successful film or two.
1: Yes, my cousin Adam took us to the Ivy.
0: And it was here, over approximately $270 worth of tacos, Ike's new ambition in life started to take shape.
1: It's funny, my whole life, I I loved movies. um, I loved TV. The one thing I loved doing was watching movies. So I said to them, I don't know, I think I'd maybe like to, you know, act in movies, (laughs) which is like the most George Costanza
0: thing I've ever said in my life, you know? (laughs) Since I've failed at everything, maybe I can, uh, yeah, do the hardest thing, maybe. Here he was, in the presence of an actual walking, talking filmmaker. What advice would Adam have for little Ike about breaking into the industry?
2: And the three of us were sitting, and Adam looked at me and I said, I'm not editing this. You say to Ike, whatever you say, I'm not editing it. And Adam said, you want my opinion? And and Ike said, yeah. He said, drop out now.
0: Well, that kind of posed a problem. It would be impossible for Ike to drop out because he had already flunked out. He just hadn't told his parents this yet.
1: Time to go back home and we're at the hotel. We're at the Reeves Hotel and uh, this is pre-cell phone. And my dad calls my mom, tell her we're heading to the airport. If people didn't lie to their parents, you would never get anything done. done, done. 99% of the time, it's a victimless lie. And it's because I'm so afraid of confrontation, and more importantly, disappointment. That's the thing. I don't want to disappoint them. he's like okay hey what 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 do you mean what what and he turns to me and goes
2: did you get did you flunk out of school did you flunk out of college i got the letter back in illinois my feelings were first give me back my fucking fourteen thousand dollars won't you tell Uh me about this it's a letter from school it says i haven't been there in months My reaction would have been basically, What the hell's the matter with you? (laughs) I mean, that's it. I mean, you know, I'm not going to hit him. Uh, uh, You know, I I didn't do that kind of stuff. And and I didn't want to shame him because I just, you know, my father would have said, What the hell were you thinking? So I was just imitating my father and said, What the hell's the matter with you? And he said, It'll be okay.
0: His dreams of Hollywood stardom just beginning to brew. Ike was headed in specifically the wrong direction. To LAX. And then on a plane, back to his childhood home in Chicago. His presidential bid, not happening. College degree, not happening. Alan and Peggy's disappointment was just too much to bear.
2: I don't know what else to say. I know I fucked up. Fucked up. Yeah, you fucked up. It looked in my eyes, you liked it. You treated me like a fucking jerk. Like I was never nothing to you. Now i got to turn my back on. So I said, Mom and I will support you in every way, but financially. You need a job, you need a car, and you need an apartment. We're not paying for any of it. And so I got a job
1: which was like, I worked for the CTA, which is the Chicago Transit Authority. So I got my own, the smallest apartment in Chicago. And then also like, I would still kind of hang out with like some high school kids that I went to high school with. Like I was like uh, Matthew McConaughey in Days to Confused. And I was like, what's up man? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I would have like seniors in high school come over and be taking bog hits. And I was like, yeah, this is my apartment. <laughs> knowing that i wanted to kind of act and get into it i had no clue where where to start i was like really bumming because i was just like i'm not doing what i want to do and i have no idea how to do it so this is when my parents come in and save the day
0: story time story time yeah Alan and Peggy's disappointment really did not last. And when you hear Alan talk about it now, it's clear that he was really judging Ike through the perspective of someone who thought their son had to tick certain boxes in order to be a successful person. But he has since realized that Ike is not that type of person. The boxes that may be applied to some people did not apply to him. Also, I think maybe Alan started to reflect on the things that he had given up in order to have the family life that he ultimately wanted. And I think that is where he uncovered a newfound empathy for Ike.
2: So for two weeks I was upset and, and here's the reason quite seriously, it was unheard of that my kid was going to drop out of college. And I was more concerned initially what the parents of the other kids were going to be thinking, um, and and then after a week or two, I said, you know what? Who the hell cares about what they think? Just be a good kid and do some good stuff. After all this shit goes down, they're
1: super depressed, and I'm super bummed out. I'm living in this shithole apartment. So my dad calls me, and he's like, um, Friday night, I'm taking you to this thing at Improv Olympic. I remember being like, I don't want to go. I have high school friends to hang out with. You know, like, we're going to fucking... Watch Firestarter or some <laughs> shit. He's like, no, no, no. You want to go, you want to be an actor, maybe? You got to see kind of different kinds of acting. But he took <laughs> me to see this show, and it was the Improv Olympics 10th anniversary. <laughs> now, the Improv Olympic, as you know, Chicago, sometimes it's the worst thing you've ever seen, sometimes it's the funniest shit you've ever seen. Oh, 10 years. Holy cow. Woo! There's a scene going on. Uh, Two guys waiting in line to see a movie yeah and they didn't say what the movie was and they're doing the scene and tim meadows enters and is like are you dudes waiting in line to see solo which was a movie that came out that day starring mario van oh of course
0: yeah the robot movie yeah the robot movie, right
1: and the tagline for solo in the newspaper ads was part man part machine all weapon tim meadows and he goes So they say this dude's part man, part machine, but all weapon? How is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) It was the hardest I think I'd ever laughed up to that point. It was this huge release in my body. Of all the stress and the shit and the guilt and the disappointment that I've been kind of holding on to, it literally in a second just kind of all went away. I forgot about all of it and laughed so hard.
2: I almost had him. Frankie was he shaking
0: I could never been so happy and his dad could see it. When Ike signed up for improv classes the next day for Alan, it was almost as good as seeing his kid graduate college. Alan and Peggy went to every one of Ike's shows. Sure, they themselves could never be entertainers because the norms that society put onto them. But as far as they were concerned, if one of their kids was going to be an improviser, it was like the whole family was improvisers. Being an improviser means nobody can fuck around with you, not your parents. Not anymore, unless that is your parents are, in fact, other improvisers, in which case they have an ability to, in fact, fuck with other improvisers. It's a license to lie, to entertain, to come up with shit on the spot, to just walk up to motherfuckers on the street and be like, Yo, give me an object. Just tell me an object. Just say an object at me. Did you never lie to them again after that? Oh, fuck no. I lie to them constantly. (laughs) Constantly, still to this (laughs) day. Storytime with Seth Rogen is an Earwolf production. Produced, edited, and sound designed by Richard Parks III. Our executive producer is Frida Perez. Additional production by Josh Richmond, Renee Colvert, Jared O'Connell, and Marina Paiz. With special thanks to Amelia Chapello. Our artwork is by Robin Richardson. The theme music is by Andy Kristen's daughter. Additional music in this episode by Mitch Ben. Please rate and review Storytime with Seth Rogen and follow the podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to these things. I'm Seth Rogen.
2: Hi there. This is Mary Holland. You may know me from Happiest Season, or Veep, or the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window, or you may know me as Janice Cramps. Huh? I want to wish Comedy Bang Bang a happy 15th anniversary. Wow, 15 years old! Comedy Bang Bang is about to get its driver's permit. I'm so excited for it, and. I'm, you know, really grateful because Comedy Bang Bang has brought me so much joy as a listener and a performer. And I'm just very grateful for this community that we have in Comedy Bang Bang. You can hear me and a lot of other very funny people on Comedy Bang Bang wherever you get your podcasts. So, what are you waiting for? Tune in.